If you're a visitor with us this morning, I want to say welcome. I think hopefully you've been welcomed already, maybe by somebody that's said hi to you, or maybe uh, Clint um, sharing some welcomes at the beginning of the morning. But I just want to tell you specifically, um, we're glad you're here. There's some awesome churches in our community, and if you're looking for a church home, I, I really think you live in a pretty great place. We have uh, a lot of churches here. Sometimes that's, uh, people look at that as a, a negative. I think that's a very positive thing because every church is different, and we're able to connect to. A church is able to connect to people in a different uh, maybe place where they are on their journey, where that message spoken through that church will be something that can guide them along in the journey. So uh, if you've chosen to spend your time with us this morning, we count that um, really a privilege, and we hope that you are equipped well. We hope that you enjoy the Lord this morning as we spend time together. I want to invite you to, if you haven't visited this little table on the way out, please do that on the way out. Um, I also just had this overwhelming sense this morning. I uh, just want to say thank you for all people that serve in so many ways. Just thinking about pulling this parking lot where people are parking, you know, guiding people into parking spots. Uh, guys in the sound booth back, back there, it's not always guys, but it's the real guys today. Uh, people that are greeting, people that are serving us through tending to children, um, worship team. There's so many things that go on on a given morning, and uh, I am just thankful that we're a church that serves well, that is serving and tending to one another, and that is, I think, responding out of worship. I think that's, that what, that's what really makes for some sweet um, service slash worship, because those are almost interchangeable, at least uh, in application. So the dance-off actually happened. I, I, I didn't see it firsthand, but I heard about it, and then I actually saw a video, and I'm telling you what, I am really impressed. Um, I, I was pretty amazed that Scott Sutton in particular got out there and threw down what he threw down. He gave Greg Fields a run for his money, and I mean, that's no small feat. Uh, and then there was a Greg Fields lookalike that got out there, so, uh, kind of a doppelganger, that was really strikingly uh, similar to Greg, minus the dancing part. Um, but it was quite a, quite a show. The daddy-daughter dance was pretty, pretty neat last night. And, you know, we had something, um, uh, was that last night? Ladies that went. I mean, we have had some cool things going on at Crosspoint Fellowship lately. And I think it's something to celebrate, something to enjoy, uh, something to thank the Lord for. So I'd like to go to the Lord in prayer, thanking him for some of those things. We also want to pray for our, our little uh, lad, Trevor Daniel, and pray for his body receiving this bone marrow transplant. And we're going to pray for another church in our community. So let's pray. God, we are thankful for the many ways uh, that you serve us through people serving in our body, Lord. I'm thankful that we are a very um, attentive, responsive, serving, servant-hearted people. Thankful that on any given Sunday morning, any given Wednesday night, and even between those times, that people are serving this congregation in so many ways that I know and I enjoy that they are ultimately serving you. And we are grateful, Lord. Thankful for a Holy Spirit that moves people to serve and to be um, to have an otherness to our walk. Lord, we are we're grateful. Lord, too, we're thankful for some of the things that have taken place in our church these last couple of weeks between the ladies' retreat and the daddy-daughter dance. Just some, some times I really enjoy you and enjoy one another uh, in fellowship and study and even some dancing and some fun. Lord, you have, have been good to us and gracious, and we are thankful for these types of events that we get to celebrate together. Uh, Lord, also we want to pray for our, our uh, lad, uh, Trevor. Lord, we lift him up to you. We beg you for healing. We beg you for health. We ask you and share with you the desire of our heart is that you will bring him to full health and that he will recover from this treatment soon. Uh, thankful for the availability of uh, marrow from his own brother and his own family. 
And we just pray that, that Lord, he'll receive that well. We pray for Lynn and Cam for their endurance. And, Lord, for their um, worship in this season, Lord, we pray that you are sustaining them. Uh, just pray that you would give us a view into any way that we can come alongside to be part of this journey with them. Lord, also we want to pray for another church in our community and praying for Chet Haney and Highland Terrace Baptist Church. Lord, I'm thankful for many years of ministry to Greenville through Highland, Ter- Highland Terrace and thankful for uh, Chet's call there. Lord, I pray that you would use him, that you would meet uh, uh, your people along at Highland Terrace Baptist Church. Lord, we pray that he's surrounded by brothers who he can walk closely with. Um, who together will provide a wisdom that will be uh, something that will bring you glory in the way it unfolds at Highland Terrace, Lord. Uh, more than any of the above, Lord, I pray, too, that the wellspring of all that will be uh, his worship and how that plays out at home. Lord, I pray for his marriage. I pray for his family, Lord. I pray that he is enjoying you uh, between um, visits to the building and visits to other people's homes, that his home is a place of worship. Uh, I just pray that you bless him in that way. Lord, guide us in these next few minutes. I confess to you in front of your people um, a uh, little bit of a tendency uh, um, to want to provide some tips this morning. I'm thankful that you have knocked those, uh, those desires off. Um, I'm thankful that you've given us a really, hopefully, a really pure and wonderful picture and image into the person and work of Jesus this morning. I would just pray that we'll enjoy him well and trust in this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Ethan, you can go ahead and put that up. I've got something I want to show you first before we start our morning. Um, I've been studying uh, temptation. Uh, we're in the wilderness. Okay, we're, um, we have a three, or this is the third week investment into a time of testing for the Lord in the wilderness, a time of temptation. And he was tested by the Lord. He was tempted by Satan in the same events, okay, the same circumstances. For Satan, he's trying to tempt. For the Lord, he's testing. And this is a time where Jesus was tested. So I thought it'd be a good time to kind of study temptation. And I thought, you know, WikiHow might be a great source. You know, you go to the Google, you Google anything, you can find answers to anything. So I thought this might be an interesting way to start the morning. Uh, WikiHow, I don't know a whole lot about. I don't go to WikiHow a lot. But WikiHow, I think, has some uh, tips for you. This sort of like community sort of answers. Whoever gives the best answer uh, ends up being the winner. You know, the most helpful answer. You see, get a certain number of thumbs up, you know, to the response. And um, this looks like a pretty uh, detailed response to how to deal with temptation. And I thought we'd just scroll through this really briefly. Let's start with this first one. Responding to temptations. Okay, there's a, kind of two parts. This is the first part, responding to temptations. First of all, this guy, he's recognizing a potential temptation in a piece of what looks like cheesecake. And he's like, I mean, he's really onto it. He sees this is a moment of testing here. I mean, you can see his, his, he's serious about it. And we even have exclamation points here to show us this is a serious moment here where he's thinking on this cheesecake. For me, it would be a mountain high apple pie that Christy makes. That's the thing that I would be visualizing in my little speech bubble. It's a thought bubble, but in that thought bubble, that, that would be me. Okay, so let, first of all, you recognize a potential temptation. That, that's the first step to dealing with it. Okay, scroll up to the next one. Okay, and then you can remove yourself from temptation. You can remove the mountain high apple pie. You can remove the cheesecake. For this guy, that would be a good step. You know, he gets the thought bubble, then he removes the pie. Well, in this case, this is, you know, cigarettes. Let's just remove the temptation. Let's throw them in the trash can. Uh, that, that's a great way to deal with temptation, okay? I think we would all... If, if you struggle with cookies, don't buy them, okay? You remove the temptation, 
I'm, I can't, I'm, I, I want to eat cookies every single night. Well, stop buying those jokers. That'll help. Okay. All right. So the, go ahead and scroll up to the next one. Okay. This one here is this gal is hitting on this guy right here. And she's, I, I don't think she's thinking about coffee in particular. She's thinking, I want to have coffee with this dude. Because he's handsome, I guess. You can't see him, but we reckon he's handsome. And she's, she's so serious about it, she's squinting. I mean, she really, really, really is interested in this guy. But he's going to be honest with her that he really has eyes for this gal only. And see how happy she is. She's closing her eyes. She's so happy, delighted with this guy. So, but being honest with why you're saying no to something is helpful in saying and resisting temptation. Okay, scroll up next. Okay, this is fourth. Yeah, scroll down where you see it. Okay, a little bit down. Okay, she's tempted apparently to take this chocolate and put it in her nose. <laughs> I mean, I don't get that, but I mean, different strokes, you know. But anyway, she's tempted, and instead she's going to visualize herself throwing it on the ground, I guess. Maybe in the trash or throwing it down. Not going to put it in my nose. I'm going to visualize that. Okay, scroll up. Next. Okay, this one is the gal thinking of the long-term consequences, I guess, of maybe infidelity or something like that. She's imagining how that would be hard on her husband or boyfriend or whoever this is if she were to cheat on him. Okay, that's what, think of the long-term consequences. Okay, that, that's a great way to kind of deal with temptation. Okay, go up next. Okay, you can go for a run. You can distract yourself. If you're dealing with temptation... You could go for a jog. I mean, this guy, we don't know what he's struggling with. He might be thinking about pie or something like that, but he goes for a run to distract himself. Uh, it's a great way to deal with temptation. Okay, let's go up to the next one. Do not give yourself a choice. This guy apparently is, like, very popular with the ladies. I think it's the same guy that was earlier, although he's with a different gal here. Okay, but this is also a different gal, and she looks like she's hitting on him, and he's, he's just saying, talk to the hand. Okay, he's, he's thinking about his other lady, and he has no room for her. He's not even going to give himself a choice to even choose between the two ladies. He has eyes, apparently, for this gal only right now. Okay, scroll up. Okay, now here's part two. Here's how we improve self-control. Okay, that's dealing with temptation. Here's part two of improving self-control. This guy, he's determined, I'm only going to have one beer at the party tonight. And I'm going to ask my partner to remind me if I go for another. He's making good plans before he goes to the party. Okay, that's a good way to deal with temptation. You make your decisions up front. Okay, all right, go ahead and scroll up. He's determined too. You can tell. Look at that furrowed brow. Okay, this guy now, he is going to get help from others. Okay, this is good here. I, it, it looks like he's thinking about cigarettes or he may be talking. I'm not sure if that's a speech bubble or a thought bubble. But he might be thinking about the guy, this guy's hairdo, trying to figure out exactly... <laughs> what is going on with the, what's on top of his, his head there. But this guy, it looks like he's asking for some help, and this guy's saying, yeah, I'm going to help you say no to cigarettes. Okay, let's go up to the next one. You can use some apps. There's some really good apps for dealing with temptation. I mean, really good stuff. MyFitnessPal is a good one for exercise and food. That's, I mean, those are good things. Yeah, okay. You can use technology. Let's scroll up. Fourth, you can challenge someone if you're dealing with something like that. Maybe it's a diet. You're dealing with losing weight. You can challenge someone to a weight loss contest or something like that. That might help you kind of get caught up in something. So that's what this guy, apparently he wants to be a big bench presser. So he's going to challenge his dad, apparently, to a bench press 
you know, deal. But this guy has a manly beard, and he looks pretty big, so I think he's going to throw down on this guy. It's probably going to be a big discouragement, but that's okay. All right. Okay, scroll up. Okay. Practice gratitude. You know, instead of, of getting focused on what you want, being tempted with what you want, write down the things that you do have. Okay, that's a good thing. All right, scroll up. We're almost done here, too. Uh, this, this next one, build your skills through practice. She apparently uh, wants to start her day out at 7.30 a.m. with a good stretch and then some cooking, and she's going to practice that somehow. So I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but I don't know what habit she's breaking, but she wants to change that by having some good habits of getting up and stretching and eating some cooked food. Okay, next. We're almost done. Okay, there's part three. Avoiding depletion. This is a good way to deal with temptation is that this guy is really going to give in. To, he's probably going to give in to the pie that the guy had in the very first picture or who knows what manner of thing he might give in, give in to because he's out of gas right here. He did too many of these squats with these, these dumbbells, and he's completely spent, and he's probably going to give in. So you don't want to deplete like that. Okay, next. She's going to eat well. That's going to be her defense. And I'm not sure what she's eating there, but that's supposedly well. It looks like, car, uh, like construction paper, but <laughs> she's going to, that, that's going to be her defense against what she's tempted by. She's going to eat well. Okay, we're almost done. I think there's like one more, maybe two more. Okay, she's going to avoid stress by meditation. Okay, there's, there's a couple things listed here. Go ahead and go up. I, prayer's not in there. WikiHow is not up for prayer. Okay, this, this is the last one. Good. WikiHow's not up for prayer, but prayer would be a good way to deal with temptation, um, you know, avoiding stress, doing some meditation and things like that, some deep breathing. Okay, you can shut that down. Okay, these things all are pretty cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with some of the things that we've looked at. All right. I mean, I, I just want to acknowledge that right up front. They all sort of do something. They all are making an effort to sort of preoccupy us when we're confronted with, with temptation or to maybe sort of pre-feed. You know, if you're tempted with certain things, you know, being well-fed and well-rested might be a good defense against things that you might fall typically fall uh, to in terms of things that you're tempted with. Uh, staying busy would be a good thing. Uh, those are sort of what's going on here in these images and the things that we see so far is sort of a proactive feeding or avoidance altogether. Get rid of it, throw it in the trash can. Remove the opportunity. And here's what's interesting. Even the biblical message is a version of that. Okay, the biblical message is a version of that. In the Sermon on the Mount, where we're going soon, you know, this picture of if your hand causes you to sin, and then the area speaking of specifically of lust, if your hand or eye causes you to sin, you cut your hand off or you gouge your eye out. That's like a picture of removing the opportunity to fall to temptation. There's even a, a passage in, in 1 Corinthians that I've uh, encouraged other, people's, uh, other people to consider in their marriages to help a man specifically, especially, I shouldn't say specifically, but especially a man in marriage with the temptation of lust is there's a passage that encourages a man and woman to be together intimately often to help the man not fall to temptation and maybe even the woman to not succumb to temptation of sexual sin. So all of those things sort of fit a lot of these sort of funny images, but real practical sort of applications in dealing with temptation. There's nothing in the world wrong with those things, and even the biblical message sort of develops the, the same thought. Yeah, but here's the thing. Today we're going to finish a three-part look at one, capital O-1, who didn't do any of these things. We're going to consider one who did not succumb to temptation, yet he didn't have any of these opportunities. 
Today we're going to consider one who looked Satan square in the face and did not flinch without any of those things that we do so often to defend ourselves and give, make us strong in regards to, to temptation. He looked Satan in the face and did not flinch. And Satan was giving him his best shot times three. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Let me just draw out a few things as we go, just to sort of review I don't want to spend a lot of time, but I do want to point out that it's, the, that it's the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness. He didn't lead him in the wilderness for a camping trip. He led him in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Okay, God does not tempt, but Satan does. God tests, and Satan tempts. So he's specifically being led into the wilderness, not for a camping trip, but for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. And I want, you to, I want to point out something that's very important here, that Jesus, God the Son, was hungry. Don't miss that, please. That God was like hungry, like God the Son was really hungry, like feeling the kind, the kind of feel that you feel when you're really hungry. He was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In this first temptation, he's tempted to bypass God's provision, driven by his hunger and his appetite, rather than obedience to his Father. That's the temptation of the first one, or the, the nature of the first temptation. Continuing on in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him, or stood him, or placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation is to force God's hand, declaring maybe in the air, via a, a leap from a height, is God with us or what? The same sin of the nation of Israel when they grumbled against God. And then today we're going to focus on this third temptation beginning in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What I want to do this morning is I want to do some sort of some observing. I want to observe sort of big picture view of these three temptations, but we're going to focus a little on one big important point. So let's deal with some observations, really, of the, the whole wilderness experience, first of all. Jesus is coming off quite an event. He's just been baptized. Greg Fields preached that sermon a few weeks ago. He's, he stepped into the Jordan. John the Baptist has baptized, baptized him. And then he's left the, 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 the Jordan after God speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, it is a mountaintop moment. Now, that's figurative because he's in the Jordan. But man, is a high moment, really the inaugurating moment in the ministry 
of Christ. He's towel dry, and then he's led into the wilderness. It's not uncommon for your high moments in your life to be followed by a time of real testing. You can probably think back to your story and think about times where that happened. That's exactly what's going on here. Satan is tempting here, and God is testing. It's important that this new and better son, this new and better person, this new and better Israel is tested. Because if he's to redeem Israel and to redeem us, he's got to prove faithful where we haven't been and where Israel was not. So he's going to be tested in the rigors of the wilderness. Now, the wilderness was considered to be the living quarters for evil spirits. If you've read your Old Testament, you may be familiar with the the Day of Atonement and how things unfolded for the Day of Atonement. You've got two goats. You've got one that you're going to sacrifice. You place on on the head the sins of the nation, and they they, they sacrifice that goat. And then the other goat, they they lead out into the wilderness for Azazel. Now, Azazel's sort of weird. We don't know if that's a demon or if that's a place or if that actually could be a compound word meaning scapegoat. But they're led out into the wilderness because this picture in the wilderness is, is I, I'm voting for a demon because there's a picture of the wilderness being a place of evil spirits. It's where the scapegoat was led, and it's where this Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit. It was a difficult and lonely place. No creature comforts, no technology, no community, none of the things that we can lean into on our, on our little uh, website that we looked at this morning. It is a place of hunger, a place of thirst, in a place of testing, stark and strong testing, times three. That's where we are in the wilderness. He's fasted. He's hungry. There's no proactive feeding going on here. Okay, there's no healthy diet. There's no construction paper, whatever she was eating there. There's nothing that he can rest on. There's no rest like the guy that overdid it with the squats and the, the dumbbells. He's spent already at this time of testing. He is hungry, and he is in the wilderness. And the word hunger, says it says that he's hungry there, tells us that he felt our feels. That's important for us to realize. I think it's important for us to realize that he was truly temptable in that moment. Now, how in the world God could be temptable, I don't know. But I know God the Son in the flesh, the incarnate Son of God, in order for this to be a true test, had to be temptable. And we have to know that he hungered. He felt our feels. Man, he's fully God, yes, but he is fully man. Otherwise, this is no real test. So in a state of severe depletion, not all numbed, not all distracted and preoccupied like the things that we can lean into, no wife to depend on to help him with temptation, in a state of severe depletion, doing the opposite of what Adam and Eve did, with their bellies that could have been full with the fruit from every tree in the garden. Okay, doing the opposite of what Israel did with their bellies full, literally full of manna and quail. This Jesus, this, this Jesus resisted temptation that all else succumbed to. And what's interesting here, there's sort of a progression. If you look at the three temptations, they sort of progress from the most basic to the most grandiose. Okay, the first is just dealing with food. That's the most basic need we may have. Right after that is safety. That was the second temptation. And the third moves to this big grandiose picture, the kingdoms of the world. And in some ways, he's tested with the gamut of temptations. The gamut of temptations that we experience. 
in these three temptations, you'll see little pictures of our temptations within them. Some of the more basic temptations capture the physical temptations of gluttony being driven by our appetites. And lust is embedded in there. It's not a sexual temptation, but it's very much a physical temptation that has a lot to do with lust. The more complex temptations deal with power and fame and ambition and self-glory. And I hope that every person in this room can see moments where we deal with those same sorts of temptations. Man, all deal with the temptations to not believe God ultimately. That's what he's being tempted with. Bypass God. Bypass obedience. You don't need any of those things. Just turn these stones into bread now. Just leap off this rooftop and see if he's really with you. Let me give you the nations. You can bypass all that stuff that involves that cumbersome stuff of obedience. Man, chances are if you've been tempted with something, anything, the essence of it and the nature of that temptation is captured within and embedded within these three temptations. And man, he did not fail. So let's spend a few minutes just considering the last temptation. We're going to take a really good look at this last one. Beginning in verse 8, I'd like to read it again just so it's fresh and in front of us. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan takes him to a very high mountain. I think the geography is important here. We'll come full circle with geography at the end of the morning. He takes him to a very high mountain from which he could see all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. This gives us a sense that it's probably visionary because this mountain doesn't exist. Even Everest, you can't see all the kingdoms of the world and it would be uh, impossible even if their mountain did exist that you could see their glory. So it seems like it's a visionary temptation. Somehow in this vision, though, Jesus is able to see the kingdoms of the world, and he's able to see their glory. And it sounds like something that's very appealing for one meant to rule the world. That's where things get sort of tricky for us. This may be hard to relate to. So I thought about a couple little things that might kind of help, help us relate, a couple little stupid illustrations that might help us sort of connect to what's going on here. This would be like someone showing you a mansion that you are to inherit someday and then saying, hey, if you'll just worship me, here's the keys. If you'll bow to me, if you'll bypass whatever process is involved to get that mansion, and if you'll look to me and me alone, I've got the keys for you. A mansion might be hard to imagine, so I thought I could at least speak to something that might be a little more familiar for a a dad of a soon-to-be driver. This might be more realistic, where a mom and a dad are giving you a car, specifically a 2002 Toyota Land Cruiser, that is bad to the bone. 2002 or three, yeah, one of those. When you turn of age, and when you finish your online driving course, and when you obey your father and mother, but somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm going to give you the keys right now. If you'll forego all that cumbersome obedience business, I'll give you the keys right now. Man, we have to acknowledge that would be some form of temptation, because Jesus was meant to rule the nations. What Satan is putting in front of him, he's meant to do. And he's doing now. And all you have to do is fall down and worship me, is Satan's message. And the ruler of this world being me, Satan, will give you the nations. What do you think, Jesus? All you have to do, teenage driver, 
is renounce your parents and follow me, the anti-parent, and you can have it all now. I admit that this is kind of hard to relate to since hopefully none of us has visions of grandeur of ruling the nation someday. It's kind of weird. If you do, then maybe we could talk afterwards and we can set up some counseling time. That'd be kind of weird. So I'm acknowledging this is sort of a hard sort of application, a hard thing to illustrate. But the cool thing is, is God gives us some helps through the word. Matthew chapter 4, and each time where he's dealing with each of these temptations, he takes them back to a story in the nation of Israel. He takes them back to where they failed so they can see where Jesus succeeded. So we're going to do that. We're going to follow his lead. Jesus' response tells us precisely the nature of the temptation. And then we're going to look back at a picture that might be the, the illustration of what Jesus was talking about. So I have two more places for you to turn this morning. And this is the first of those two places in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to sort of crack the code on specifically the nature of this temptation. Is this a temptation that was only um, a temptation for Jesus and maybe a new driver and someone uh, who's going to inherit a mansion? Or is it something that we could all potentially identify as a temptation for all of us? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. That's the passage that Jesus is quoting. Now, it's not exactly the same because the, the, the passage actually used the word worship okay, in place. It's him you shall worship, but it's the same passage that he's quoting. And it is the Lord you shall, in, in place of fear, he uses the word worship. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of all the peoples who are around you. In this context, you shall not bow to Satan. That's where, where Jesus is going as he's using this passage. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Okay, so this is the passage that Jesus is referring to. And what I want to do, I think there, if, if you look at really the heart of it, the heart of it is worshiping some God other than God. So what we could do is we could try and explore. We could be like inspectors. You know, we go like, okay, where did Israel do this? And here's, here's a little trick. If you open your Bible, likely you're turned to a page where Israel did that. I mean, you could almost try it. Okay, let me just close my eyes and just, okay, I bet this is a place where Israel's worshiping other gods. I mean, it, it is through and through our Bibles. But I want to go, I think it'd be good for us to go to the specific place that Jesus is referring to. Okay, so let's go to Exodus chapter 16. If you were here, the, the, the uh, weeks that we st started talking about this temptation, you know that, that our passages that Jesus referred to, his sort of how he wielded the scripture, each of those passages, each of those times he's tempted, he wields scripture in dealing with Satan, but he quotes passages from Deuteronomy that are pointing back to the story of Israel in the Exodus. Okay, it's a little complex. I get it. It's a little cumbersome, but we're going to do the work nevertheless. So, a few weeks ago, when we first started this, this temptation passage here in the wilderness, we were led to Exodus chapter 16. Okay, that's where they were um, grumbling about food, and God gave them food from the sky, manna and quail. Okay, Exodus chapter, and that was the first temptation. The second temptation was from Exodus chapter 17, where they were saying, hey, we don't have any water to drink. And you remember Moses was instructed to strike the rock, and water would come out, and water came out. And they grumbled and tested the Lord was what happened at that moment. 
Okay? So we're trying to figure out the story, though, is dealing with third temptation. That was the first and second temptation. Okay, so geographically, we're looking, or I should say chron- chronologically, we're trying to figure out and crack the code on what story is, is, is Jesus referring to. So we're looking at, at Exodus chapter 18. That's probably not it. We looked there last week, but that had nothing to do with the study that we're doing in Matthew 4. It was just coincidence, the story of Jethro. Okay, so that's not it. We turn the page. Israel is camped now at Mount Sinai. Okay, so we know where they are geographically. We know that chronologically, it's pro- probably not uh, much time has passed between chapter 16 and 17, and here where they're camped at the base of Mount Sinai in chapter 19. Okay, then you start, start flipping some pages. The Ten Commandments come at, in chapter 20. They come audibly, I want to point out. They come audibly to the point where the nation of Israel is going, oh my gosh, whatever we can do to where we don't have to hear from God directly, let's go with that plan. Moses, can you go hike up the mountain and get the message from God? Because we all need to go uh, change our underwear. That scared us to death. That was sort of their, I mean, not literally their response, but generally their response. Okay, so chapter 21, Moses is making trips up the mountain now. Okay, we're trying to figure out what story, we're trying to crack the code on what story is Jesus referring to that's going to help us understand this third temptation, the nature of this third temptation. Okay, so Moses is coming and going up, the, up to the mountain. This, I think, is his first trip up the mountain. It goes chapters 21, 22, 23, and then 24, the end of chapter 24, he's come back down the mountain, and he's about to make another trip back up. In verse 18 of 24, it says, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, that's context. That's context for we're trying to figure out the neighboring story that reconciles or connects to this third temptation. Okay, so we know where Moses is. He's on top of the mountain. He's going to be up there 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, all right, chapter 25 passes, Moses on the mountain. 26 passes, Moses on the mountain. 27, 28, Moses on the mountain. He's getting all kind of scoop. He's getting a scoop on the tabernacle and the priests and consecration of the priests and all those sort of instructions. He's up there getting the word from God because they asked, please don't, please bypass us. Get the message directly to Moses for us. So Moses at the top of the mountain getting the message. Okay, verse 29 or chapter 29, Moses at the top of, top of the mountain. Chapter 30, Moses at the top of the mountain. 31, Moses still at the top of the mountain. Now, chapter 32, here's what's going on at the bottom of the mountain. It's not neighboring in our Bible, but it's neighboring chronologically. This is the very next story. Let's see what happens in chapter 32 of Exodus. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, okay, we know he's on top of the mountain. He's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. We don't know exactly where he is in this window, Somewhere within this 40 days, okay, he's up at the top of the mountain. And they're like, man, he delayed to come down from the mountain. And the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, "Uh, okay, take off the rings that are on your ears and, and or take the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off all the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. I mean, let me, let me just, if I can, if I can. When they all had to go change their underwear, 
They'd heard from God. They'd heard these very words. You shall have no other gods before me. An audible message. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I mean, we're talking days we're not talking about some, some vintage message that had been passed on to their great-grandfathers. We're talking days here. Up, make for us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land, we don't know what's become of him. Aaron says, okay, give me your gold. So with a graving tool, he made a golden calf, and they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What? I mean, is anybody else going, what? Really? Really? Did this really happen? It's such a crazy story. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Okay, let's add a golden calf. Let's add to the golden calf an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Looks like it's going to be a feast to a golden calf. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. Man, what a tragic image. Right? Those big dummies, right? Man, they're crazy. They're dumb. They're so dumb. Really dumb. Right? (laughs) But let's see what happens. A little bit later, I mean, Moses intercedes for them. Okay, God tells them what's happened. Moses goes back down the mountain on the next page, if you want to look at it, in verse 21. And Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. I mean, they were so bossy. They told me, up. I mean, I was sitting down. I was just kind of chilling, reading a book. They said, up. Make for us some gods we can worship. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw the gold into the fire and pop out came this calf. Seriously, this is like one of the most comical, heartbreaking stories in our Bibles. Days after. He spoke from heaven and said, do not make any graven images. Do not bow down to other gods. I am a jealous God. (laughs) Man, it is flab. If you're not flabbergasted, you need to be. Just read the story again and go, okay, like really, this is a real story. When God's commenting on what happened, he says in verse 8, He says, they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Man, I'm telling you, if this thing doesn't blow your mind, then you really need to read it again. Within days of hearing from heaven, don't do this, they actually did it. As you kind of draw out the nature of their sin, though, you, you look at what they did. That First of all, they weren't waiting on the Lord. Man, this Moses, 
He's been up there 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. Where's our dude? That's a long time to wait. We don't like to wait on the Lord, so up, make for us something to occupy us. Because waiting on the Lord is sort of a drag. Up, give us some reason to eat and drink and rise to play, like right now. <laughs> Aaron, come on, buddy. Keep us occupied. We don't like waiting. Up, let's bypass God's timing and plan and man who's on the top of the mountain by bowing to another right now. Man, as you really look at it, it's really pretty graphic. And if you think, you know, is this what Jesus was tempted with? <laughs> Bypassing the suffering and the waiting and getting the goods now? Is this what Jesus was tempted with? Man, it's precisely what he was tempted with. I bet the eating and drinking and rising to play would have been nice about that time too. Well into a 40-day fast. Man, as I read this and read what Nation of Israel did, I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad we'd never do that. Right? Anybody? Big dummies. It's a good thing we'd never do something so foolish. When tempted with what we desire, I'm glad that we'd never make moral compromises to have it right now. Man. We'd never bypass a God that we couldn't see and worship something that we could see and touch. That's just Israel. I mean, we're not dumb like that. We'd never bow to whatever will get us what we want now. Right? Not me. We'd never buy something on credit because, well, we just have to have it right now. Anybody else? I was a uh, second lieutenant, newly commissioned in Quantico, Virginia. I was driving a 1989, no, 1985 Land Cruiser. Um, no, it was a Forerunner. Excuse me. Forerunner had the top that you could take off. That was the years. And, man, that, that thing was so cool. But when I got off to uh, um, Quantico, Virginia, I'd had it three or four years, and I was kind of tired of it. And it wasn't even paid off. I, I took out a loan with my dad. He was co-signer. And um, it wasn't even paid off. But it, the, the clutch started slipping. Is a, is a, it was a stick shift, and clutches, they need to be replaced. I thought the thing was just dying. I didn't know that. So I went to the Toyota dealer. I got a job now. I'm getting paid, right? That's what I thought. And I go in there, and I buy the Toyota 4, the 1990 Toyota 4Runner that's on the showroom floor. Okay, don't ever buy the car that's on the showroom floor. I mean, that, you, you've, you've fallen for it. Well, I did that. I traded this other car without even paying off the note. I still had to make that payment with my father and still had now had to make a payment on a brand-new 1994 runner. Well, that thing was traded about a year later for a two-wheel drive Toyota pickup that I had to lease because I couldn't even make the payments. But this, I would never do something like this, take credit for something that I wanted right now, even though I really couldn't afford it. Anybody else? Anybody else have any stories? Man, we'd never fall prey to fool and being fooled with something like right now. I would never, I mean, I know you wouldn't do this either. I, I would never ruin my meal at Mariachi's by stuffing my face with chips and salsa beforehand. Because, <laughs> well, they're here now. I mean, I would never do that. <laughs> That's dumb, big dummies. That, that 
Mokahete is on its way. I, I should wait. Mm. We would never, ever have premarital sex. None of us, I'm sure. We'd never have premarital sex because we couldn't wait for God's plan. Hmm. We would never bypass the waiting and maybe even the suffering and the obedience to have sex now. I mean, everybody else is, right? Hmm. We'd never justify it either by saying, well, we love each other. <sighs> now, we, that's just Israel that's dumb. Hmm. We'd never look at an electronic device to have a relationship with a virtual woman right now. Mm-mm. Nobody would ever do that rather than waiting on and trusting the Lord with his provision for our appetites. We would never trade the bride of our youth for a virtual woman who's available now, men. I know nobody would ever do that. Mm. We'd never trade our birthright for a bowl of soup, would we? Never. Even if it's lentil soup, mm, we would never do something so foolish. We would never turn to Hagar while waiting on the Lord and say, hey, you look able-bodied. Can you be a surrogate? We never find ourselves with an Ishmael going, what now? What do we do with this Ishmael of our own making? Man, we would never do something so foolish. We don't ever trade the good and the great and the holy things that come from God in his timing on his terms for the mediocre and the available. We never do such a thing. We would never be so foolish. Man, is anybody stinging with me this morning? I mean, is anybody really feeling the sting of this? If you're not, let me just give you a heads up. We're going to the Sermon on the Mount soon. And the Sermon on the Mount, nobody leaves unscathed. Some of the greatest men and women in history, one of some of the finest Christians in the faith, the story of, of the church, have come to the Sermon on the Mount and said, I'm ruined. Man, the danger for us is if we look at the nation of Israel and say, man, that's them. That's not me. I'll tell you what I think. After considering Jesus in the wilderness, how he moved, after considering how Israel moved in his wilderness, after considering how I move, man, it's a good thing we're not the good news. Mm. Man, it's a good thing we're not the good news. Uh. Mm. It's a good thing that the subject of this passage, the focus of this story, the victor here is Jesus. Man, he's the good news. <laughs> Man, what a beautiful picture. Mm. I had a struggle this week with my notes. Oh, man. It even went as late as a few minutes before worship started. I struggled with my pen. I oftentimes scratch a bunch of stuff out in my notes. Scratch it out. Like, I, that's not for the sermon. I'll save that for later or save it for an email or never, never share it. A lot of stuff ends up on the cutting room floor through getting scratched out. And I, I had a, a, a little war, a little struggle with my pen, my scratching stuff out. Because, man, I had some really good tips for you this morning. Lessons about us. 
mm, and how we fall prey to sin. Lessons about Satan, his strategies. Ugh. Good, juicy stuff, right? I mean, who doesn't need those lessons? Who doesn't want those lessons? Those are good lessons. But my struggle this morning was to say, no, mm, I'm not going to be a tip herald this morning. I'm not a herald of tips and lessons. I'd like today to be a herald of one person and one work and one victor and one being that we can just sit and enjoy him for a few minutes. This Jesus, this new and better son, this new and better Israel, this new and better Adam, this new and better Ben, make it personal. Mm. He had no creature comforts. He wasn't pacified with good food or healthy diet. He wasn't well rested. He had no wife to help him resist temptation. He had no community, no one to have a bench press contest with. Hmm. He had no energy to even go for a run to keep himself busy. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's in the wilderness. No way to remove the temptation. Where can he go? Man, he just reckoned with it. He just reckoned with it. The deceiver that's fooled every single one of us, he reckoned with him. Mm. He dealt with this tempter like no one ever has before or since. Mm. This isn't the last time you'll see him on a mountaintop getting it done either. Like a bookend on this book, you see him on another mountaintop toward the end of the book where he's getting it done there as well. And he's taking care of the deceiver as well on this instrument of death called the cross. Hmm. Colossians 2.15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's through the work of the cross on another mountaintop. Man. I was thinking of an image, a movie scene that came to mind for me. Raiders of the Lost Ark. 1981, I think I was a freshman in high school. What a great movie. Man, do you know this moment where the guy with the sword, <laughs> right? He's wearing black. He's got this big Arab sword. This blade is like that. That thing's making all kind of crazy noises, and he's flinging that thing around. And he's like, oh, he, and everybody's, the crowd pushes off to the side. and like, oh, it's about to go down. This guy's about to get cut to shreds. Indiana Jones says, <laughs> walks off like a boss. Ugh. Man, this Jesus is fine. Isn't he? The last mountaintop in the book, he loves mountaintops, apparently. The place where he's tempted is a place where he says, what's what? Matthew 28 
verses 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, On this mountaintop, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It was hard won. I didn't bypass it. I didn't kneel to another. I didn't forego the suffering. I didn't forego the obedience. I've done what I came to do, and I was faithful. And now authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He drops the mic, and he ascends to heaven. Man, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. He's fine. The song that's been playing in my mind all week is a song that we're going to sing a version of in the supper. I grew up in a real traditional Baptist church where we sang hymns every week out of a hymnal. And I knew I know the baritone line for probably every song in the hymnal. I, I, I love old hymns. And the song that's been on my mind all week, Fairest, Lord Jesus. Fairest. Not just fair, but the fairest. I mean, the most fair, Lord Jesus, ruler of all. Fairest, Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish. Thee will I honor. Thou, my soul's glory, joy, and crown. Not my best day. Not my merits, not my achievements. Thee will I count as my crown. You and you alone, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all. Fair are the meadows. Man, I love me some meadows. They're pretty. Fair are the meadows. Fair are still the woodlands. Mm. Woodlid, wooded trees and woods. It's so beautiful. Robed in the blooming garb of strength. Woeful heart, mine. To sing. Mmm. That's why we sing every week. Don't you think it's weird that we get together and sing? Where else do you do that? You go to a concert or something, you might sing, but probably not because you want to hear that guy that you paid to hear. Where else do you go to actually sing? Here, because we're singing about this fairest. How could we not? Fair is the sunshine, fairer still the moonlight. Mm. Love me some sunshine and moonlight. Oh, the twinkly starry host. Woo, you get out and see that starry sky. It's beautiful. But guess what? Jesus shines brighter. Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. Fairest, Lord Jesus, ruler of all. Beautiful Savior. Lord of all the nations. Son of God, holy. And Son of man, hungry. Glory and honor and praise and adoration. Now... And forevermore be thine. Let's pray. Ah. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of an amazing Savior in this difficult place called the wilderness. Lord, we are thankful for this window into the fairest. Mm.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this supper is for those who call him, count him fairest. Man, if he's, if he's been yours, or maybe today he said, ah, he's fair. I think I love him. Then, man, take and eat with us. We're going to distribute some elements right now, and elements of a little piece of bread and a little cup. And they, in some ways, we're enjoying the broken body of Christ through the cross, this place where he put those principalities to open shame. And that cup is enjoying and remembering the blood that was shed for us, that covers us, that we're swimming in, covering our woeful hearts as we enjoy him and his greatness. Let's distribute the elements.